Hello, hello, Welcome hello, everyone hello, to hello, the hello, Conversations with Authentic test. Leaders podcast. My test, name is Dave Irvin, one, two. and I'm the host for this podcast, and I'm delighted to have another session with you all. As all of you know who have been listening hello. to these podcasts hello. know hello. 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 Been through any of my leadership development programs, know my passion for leadership. And I'm especially passionate about not just what leaders do, but how do leaders become? What does it actually take? to become a person who can influence and inspire people to be followers. And you know that I, you know, uh, know that uh, and believe my premise is that, uh, and from my research and experience, that uh, leadership, the ability to lead and the capacity to influence and, and inspire followers doesn't come from one's position. It comes from one's presence. And I am just passionate and curious about how that presence is developed in the course of one's lifetime. What are the defining moments that make one who one is? And, and uh, I just love to hear stories about people's lives and what were the defining moments and the experiences that help shape people that I respect and that help form your leadership philosophy and your capacity to lead. And so I am just delighted today to have with us another leader that I have a deep respect for, who has earned my respect over the last probably several months in uh, many of the leadership development programs that I've offered. Uh, I want to introduce you to Catherine Ford today. And Catherine... Hi. Sorry? Hi, David. Oh, just hi, David. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. We're, we're both... Uh, uh, in our own human way doing this. So thank you very much, Catherine, for joining me today. And you're, you're a person that I have a great deal of respect for. Now, Catherine is a mid-level manager in the energy sector in Calgary. And uh, she's got an amazing story. And I'm just delighted, Catherine, to have you join us. So, Catherine, welcome. Thanks very much, David. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And, and I uh, definitely return the, the respect. I've certainly had a opportunity to grow that for for you as well and the work you've done and the, the ability you have to connect people together I think too is just really really admirable and appreciated so thank you well I always say Catherine that uh, what you see in others you have in yourself so this is how we help each other grow is as we uh, as we attend to what we're observing within others uh, it's a good clue to See it within you. It takes one to know one, as we say. Listen, Catherine, would you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your current leadership role, and some of your passion and vision around leadership and what, uh, what you feel is important for, uh, to, for the audience to know about you as a leader? Sure. So, and I think you mentioned that sort of the, it's a very generic uh, description of, of that I asked you to, to say that I'm sort of in mid-level management in the energy sector here in Calgary. Um, I've been sort of in this line of work for about seven years now and um, have really sort of grown into the leadership role that I'm now in during that time. And it's kind of interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about how I got here. But um, one of the things I'm really passionate about in my, in my role and in the capacity that I work is really making um, the business that we do really frontline focused. So... My passion really comes for making people who are doing the hard work sort of out there, um, you know, in the in the day-to-day -day cold weather, I guess, these days, um, that they feel
feel really valued and that everything that we're doing is, is to support the positive outcomes that they're responsible for. And so that's, I think, really where I've focused my sort of attention and and got my team to help support that vision as well, um, to really just sort of see those folks as the, the great assets of the companies that we work for. And that what we're doing as teams is really to support those folks to be successful. And that that's where, that's where I think we really see not just profitability from a business sense, but just really success as individuals and as, as organizations. Yeah, I think this is truly one of your strengths, and I'm going to call it a gift, that you, you somehow or other know how to reach the common person, if you would, in an organization and help every person feel valued and appreciated and affirmed, and that you genuinely have this sense of caring. Um, can you just speak? It, it's, the answer to this is probably self-evident, but can you speak about the value of coming across... Um, with sincerely caring about people and committed to uh, reaching people, what impact does that have on the business and on the quality of life within an organization? Yeah, I just, I think that through, I mean, through experiences that I've had, um, I mean, there's nothing worse than being treated like you're just sort of a replaceable uh, asset, I guess. And I've just really found that, um, the ability for sort of leaders and organizations to really connect what the sort of broader business goals are with those, you know, the, the actions of, you know, the frontline person is just such a key thing. Um, those sort of connections, I guess, are, I think, where individuals and groups can really just make a huge difference. Um, in those business outcomes, certainly, I, I guess in the private sector that means one thing, but I think it applies across all sectors too. So if it's if your business is providing healthcare, it's better patient outcomes. If it's providing education, it's providing higher quality education. And if it's producing oil and gas, it's doing that sort of safely and reliably. So, Catherine, you know my approach to authenticity and my passion for authenticity and. What is the whole notion of being authentic? You've really alluded to that already as we're, you know, coming into this conversation in our own imperfect way. Um, as we come in, you know, uh, both of us kind of anxious about wanting to make sure we do this, this interview right. We come into leadership, I'm assuming. You're conscientious. You're anxious. What, what does authenticity mean to you? And where has authenticity um, been a part of your leadership journey? And what is it – how do you – find what what does it mean to you um and this is probably where i'll get a little bit more relaxed because i can talk about something i'm much more familiar with and that's <laughs> sort of how i came to this place um and thanks for acknowledging the nervousness because it's it's all it can always be a challenge so um honestly david authenticity for me just is this real place of of honesty and integrity and that's something i developed um earlier in my career. So before I came into oil and gas, I was a paramedic here in the city of Calgary uh, for just about 15 years. And that is a place where you develop leadership skills that cannot be taught anywhere else. 
and uh, and unfortunately too, you also learn what it's like to be not necessarily seen as a really valuable asset to a to a company to a business. And so, I think through those experiences, um, just had the real opportunity to learn a lot about what it means to be respected, um, how to sort of lead without position, but really with presence, um, and how to sort of develop, I guess, just really innately the skills of, of honesty and integrity, and to display those really consistently in a wide variety of situations. Can you, can you build that for us more, um, that bridge between leadership skills and paramedics? And, the, and you know, how, do, how does one develop that sense of being respected and leading without a position? What does that have to do with paramedics, being a paramedic? And that's a really fair question, and it's something that, interestingly enough, I don't think I thought a whole lot about when I was a paramedic, but have obviously been sort of trying to articulate what that means having left the, the industry. And I guess there's just so many circumstances that you find yourself in as a paramedic where you have to just have this sort of innate ability to decision-make, um, to communicate really clearly, um, this, this huge amount of accountability, I think, for decisions and actions that come with literally dealing with life and death situations um, in really uncontrolled environments. And I think that's a key piece too because um, when you're a paramedic, you're not, you're not in, a, in a hospital with the luxury of lots of doctors and expertise and experience, but you're in these really dynamic situations that you can't ever really guess what's going to happen next. And the ability to just really remain calm, and that sounds sort of obvious, but it's really a holding a, holding a space in those circumstances. Um, and I think the medics that I worked with who I would say I respected the most were the ones that really could sort of hold that space for other people in those really stressful situations. And I've just, I think, found that coming out of that career um, that those are skills that are really valued in in business but then are probably a little bit more uncommon than I might have realized having been surrounded I think by folks who did it very naturally you know Catherine I see this in law enforcement work that I do with law enforcement uh, leaders uh, first responders uh, when you come across um, these emergency situations, these, you know, you're facing uh, what most of us in, this, in, a, in our lives never see. And, and you, you're coming up against, as you say, life and death situations, but you're actually, I would say, I, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a dumb outsider here, but I, I'm, a, I'm guessing that you come across near-death experiences all the time. And while you have to be protective of yourself and not absorb all of that pain, it must in some way inform your authenticity and make you more real. If you'll find a way, there's a, and I, and again, I'm going to, uh, I'm curious as to your struggle with this, how you embrace the realness that you're facing and allow it to make you real that you are without taking it, without it taking you down. 
and without consuming all of that pain that you're around and that, that sense of being so close to death and then, um, you know, being around people who are dying and coming across death in your, in your calls. Curious how you work that whole process out. And I'm assuming, and please tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm assuming something that as an outsider here, but I'm assuming that that was a big part of making you not just developing the leadership skills to think under pressure and to be develop composure, but also the personal aspect of facing your own mortality almost on a daily basis, if you will. And how does that made you more real? I think those are some those are some good questions. <laughs> um, I guess the realness of it for me just sort of. Oh, boy, that's a tough one to answer, Dave. Um, Did it, do you feel that it may... I have to believe that, in, that your ability to reach people in some ways stemmed from your realness that you saw in your work. Is that a correct... Is that a, a, a fair bridge to make? Yeah, it is for sure. And, and looking at it in that perspective, I think that... I mean, it's not a it's not a profession, or they're not circumstances where you can afford to have any falseness sort of present. And um, I think you like I learned very quickly as a young medic that you can't you can't parse the truth. I think in a lot of a lot of circumstances like that, um, you just have to be sort of fiercely honest with people about what's going on and. But, then you learn how to do that in a way that's just really, really respectful. Um, as challenging as it is, I think, to sort of, as an individual, experience those things. I mean, I think one of the skills that a lot of first responders develop is, is an ability to sort of witness but not absorb um, to varying degrees of success, I think everybody would also agree with. Um, that ability to just sort of, again, it just, it's really holding a space of, of honesty um, and accountability, I would, I would say, to, to the people in the situation, that, that you're the person that they can look to, to to be honest, to answer questions, to tell people what's, what's happening. And, and, and uh, it's, it's not somewhere where you, you get to sort of pretend that things are going to be all right, I guess, sometimes. Fortunately, not all the time. No, it faces you with being real. And you also, every call, you provide leadership. You come in in the midst of chaos, and you bring calm in the midst of that chaos, I imagine. And uh, whether you see it or not, you're a leader to the people who are in the chaos and that you are there to provide that stabilizing energy and that vision to take people out of it, eh? I think that would actually be one of the things that I would really see in my observation of other medics that I've worked with and police officers as well, obviously. But, you know, the, the folks I think that I always really respected, and I think one of the reasons that I gained the respect of a lot of my peers was was because that really consistent ability to, regardless of the situation, just really hold a space of, of calmness, of being that person that they could look to. Um, I have a habit of, yeah, as the energy goes up around me, I slow down, um, which 
sort of observed in the last few years is, is not necessarily the common way to deal with, with stress and sort of chaos. Um, but that's certainly a skill I learned as a paramedic is, is just like literally slowing the voice down, lowering your pitch. It's sort of all of those, those cues that we make that, uh, that other people see as being sort of calming signals. I, that, that sounds a bit simplistic, I guess, but it's, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's been interesting to look back and, and start to understand what it is that you have the opportunity to learn in that kind of line of work. So and I'm certainly still learning to how to understand that. Oh, well, aren't you all? all? But I I think you're saying, you're exhibiting a very important leadership quality for me, which is called composure, which is calm under pressure and being able to bring stability in the midst of chaos. And you you don't need a title to do that. Um, When your presence is calm, it will impact people in a positive way and uh, inspire people around you. Uh, when you can come, and, you, and the trick is to how to be calm without being distant and detached. And, you know, you, you express this witnessing without absorbing it, it being there and caring in, those, in that midst of those emergencies uh, develop that capacity. And I, I suspect that there are many medics who actually have that capacity who probably go unacknowledged. Um, in their capacity to lead in the midst of that. They don't, I imagine most medics don't see that as a leadership quality. That's just kind of what they do, I, I imagine, eh? Yeah, and that's actually, and I sort of a, a piece of my passion, I think, goes back to that as well, is, is what are these skills that some of these frontline folks, and in, in that case, a frontline paramedic, sort of have that are really unacknowledged and underutilized. And, I mean, had I... Had, had we been having conversations, I guess, in in EMS about you know what are these other skills that we've we've all developed, sort of unbeknownst or accidentally through through the work that we do and through the kind of people that that are attracted to that profession, I would say. Like, how do we how do we leverage those, and how do we help each other get better at those skills that I think come naturally to a lot of people who are in in those lines of work. But apparently the uh, adrenaline junkie in you didn't last, and uh, you, you evidently didn't stay in that career. So how did you evolve out of being a medic into the role that you're in now? What was your process for your journey to go through that? To be honest, David, I, um, I think the adrenaline junkie in me probably could have done it for a few more years. But uh, the, the person, the part of me that just sort of was pretty frustrated with not necessarily being um, valued and respected, I think, from an organizational perspective. That, that part of me outweighed the, uh, the passion and the love of the job. Um, and so for very personal reasons, sort of along those lines, I think, um, you know, I just I had an opportunity sort of show up in front of me when I wasn't necessarily looking for it. And, and it was a timing decision, a, lifetime, a lifestyle decision, I guess, to an extent. Um, and I think just a recognition, too, of looking back. I, I heard a great analogy the other day that really every first responder is, is like 
a frog in a pot of water on a stove and it's not a matter of if the temperature is going up, it's how fast it's going up. Mm. And uh, I was glad to be able to leave uh, my career in EMS being a compassionate, caring medic who is respected by their peers. And I just, I think that'd be my wish for anybody else in that profession that's starting to feel like they're they're not um, as sort of healthy and happy as they maybe once were, is that they can find a way to walk away before they lose any of that integrity and dignity. So. Well, and you know my, my message around really finding our place and we have, our needs evolve, our lives evolve, and we have to evolve with those changing needs. And some people still thrive in that role, I'm, sh- I'm assuming, too. That, oh, that, for sure. that stay in there and that that's their place. That's where they fit. Uh, and if, it, But, you know, it, 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 it goes to any job that we have, any role that we have. If, it's, if we've done all we can to be who we are and it still just isn't uh, fully allowing us to express the, the spectrum of our talents and our passion and our gifts, then it, we really must take the courage to move on. Was that a, would you call that a courageous move, to move away from the security of that job? Yeah, it was. It was for sure. I mean, it was a very, I say it's courageous only because it was really scary to do. So I guess there was probably <laughs> some courage involved in that. It's, I mean, it, it's really hard to leave a career. Um, I, I had been doing it for 15 years. It uh, certainly wasn't just a sort of flash in the pan. You know, I was a ski instructor when I was a teenager, and it I didn't feel the same sort of uh, separation, I guess, when I left that to become an, uh, a paramedic. But, um, yeah, it was definitely definitely a process, and I've done some reading since then about those sort of transformational experiences. Um, Mesereau, I think, is, is one of the authors that sort of dealt with that. And, you know, it's pretty interesting to look back and see how sort of a, a discontent or a, a discomfort can sort of lead to action in, in some situations. And then, really, I think just being open to the possibility that I could do something totally different. And that can be a really scary step. Um, I, I didn't go into a career line of work that was sort of a direct parallel from where I was. And so there was a lot of risk there. I, you know, leaving a pension, leaving all the things I think that represent a real stability and, and comfort. Um, so it was a little scary, but uh, I've, I certainly haven't looked back. It's been definitely been the right move. And, and the really neat thing is that it, I know now that if I want to make changes in the future, uh, I can do that too. Well, every time you go through, uh, it's interesting. I don't think we call it courageous in the moment. I think courage is something that we see in retrospect, in the light of time's perspective. We, oh, I guess that was courageous, but I just did what I had to do, was probably what, what the journey was that you went through. How, how did you, how have you found your new role? And well, if actually, before I go there, let me ask you this. Not all medics have your compassion. Um, so it, 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 you have to attribute your caring nature, your, your willingness to reach um, people in your, 
your employees and affirm and appreciate and help them feel included and belonging, that desire and capacity that you have, you can't probably attribute it solely to being a medic. I mean, being a medic certainly would have helped you uh, develop it. But were there were there any moments? How did that? Where was that compassion in you born? Do you have a sense of that at all, Catherine? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if I have a clearer sort of sense of that. I think, um, I like I know as a as a young as a young person as a sort of a kid, I was very sort of always connected to sort of nature and animals and certainly a love of being outside and growing up uh, fortunately in a rural environment, which was wonderful. Just sort of a connection to sort of family and friends and and the outdoors, but it uh, it's interesting because when I went into paramedicine, it wasn't really seen as uh, it was seen very much as sort of public safety versus healthcare. And I think during the time I was in EMS, it started to transition to being seen as, as a more of an arm of, of healthcare than it is sort of uh, safety and security. But um, I don't know if I would have described it as something I did because of my compassion. I actually do think that a lot of my compassion would have been developed sort of through that work. Just, and just really developing just a huge respect for the, the variety and intensity of the human experience. I think that's a bit of a byproduct of just having seen so many different expressions of that. Well, your organization is fortunate to have the gifts that you've developed in bringing it into that place. And I'm just wondering whether you could elaborate in any more in a way that I maybe haven't asked you yet in terms of what is your leadership looking like today and and what does being authentic look like in your role here and what does it mean to have integrity? What does that look like from a very practical perspective in, an energy, in the energy sector and what does it mean to take these gifts of caring and, and apply this? Can you elaborate on any of that? Yeah, so I think... Um Certainly, this is, these are questions I've been asking myself a lot lately, too, um, and I can, I can thank or blame, I guess, you for that partially from the work that we've done through your leadership courses. But, um, you know, there's, I just think that there's such a great opportunity to really, as I sort of said, refocusing that energy and, and attention back to these sort of frontline workers. And I... I don't want to make it sound like it's sort of some big secret sauce or anything like that, but I just I know that my experience as a frontline worker was so much that we just we weren't the people that they came to when there was a problem or a question, which was always I always sort of didn't really understand. So if they were trying to figure out how to be more efficient with the deployment of ambulances or uh, how can we get people in and out of the hospital faster? Sorry, the crews in and out of the hospital, not not patients. But or how can we sort of decrease the number of people who are injuring their backs with stretchers and those sorts of things? It never it didn't sort of just walk out to one of us and ask us what we thought 
uh, could help, which always just felt sort of counterintuitive to me. And so I think one of the things I've really focused on here is really making sure that we've got really good lines of communication with the people who are affected by the decisions that we're making on a daily basis. And we sort of have this stakeholder engagement checkbox, and I think that people can probably appreciate that from a government perspective as well, that we haven't meaningfully engaged with people. And I think I've learned a lot about what that really means. Um, and so for me, just a really practical thing that, that I'm learning to do and, and really encouraging my team to sort of prioritize is that if we're going to ask for people's opinions and ask for their feedback, it can't just be an exercise. If, if we're going to ask for them to sort of take the time and the energy to give us information back, we really need to then be incorporating what, what they're telling us. Um, because as soon as you make it a checkbox exercise, you lose that trust. And and then you alienate the people who you're supposedly trying to make things better for. And so I think that that's, I would say, the one thing that I've probably most successfully taken from my experience as a frontline worker in EMS to sort of a leadership position where I am now is that you know, those, there's just this huge amount of knowledge um, that you can access just by really being credible and authentic, I guess. You, you're going in and saying, I need, we need help with this. We don't understand this. Can you tell me about it? And then I've seen people respond then to when we come back with what the solution looks like and they can see their piece of it. Um, there's, there's an ownership there, but there's also then this, this respect that gets developed between me and that person. They feel heard and acknowledged and like they're part of the solution. And I think that's been a very um, <clears throat> helpful, I don't know, uh, experience for me. And, and, and I know it's something that my team sort of has really had the opportunity to get really good at doing, I guess. And it's, it's brought us a lot of success. So, Catherine, I have to just dig a little deeper here um, because that sound, what I call that sound of the genuine, that people know this is the real deal. This is a person who has our back. This is not a leader who learned in a textbook how to be a leader. This is a person who has faced life. Now, my experience, I just want to dig a little deeper about before we wrap this up, how and where did that depth come from? It's very it, – it's uh, – I'll accept that maybe it's through the through the depth of the of the paramedic experience, but was there another experience or two a challenge that you had to face in your life, a real hardship, um, a difficulty? And again, I don't want to put words in your mouth because this this presence, this depth of presence, can come in a myriad of ways, suffering, and pain, and uh, death, and illness. Is our one way that these can come through the darker side of ourselves. There are other ways, though, and I just have to ask if if you're aware of anything else that's happened in your life, defining moments, experiences um, that that would have shaped you to say, "I had to come up against this very challenging situation, and it helped make me who I am today." 
so that we can leave our listeners with a sense of, at the time, it feels like an impossibility that we'll never get through it. But as you get through it and you look back, you realize, and with, as you see it more clearly, you begin to see, oh, that was actually designed exactly the way it was meant to, to help make me who I am today. Are you aware of any of those kind of experiences that may have come to you in the course of your life other than what you've already expressed? And I would certainly concur that perhaps, you know, 15 years on the street would do it for you. But is there anything else that you haven't, uh, uh, that you haven't talked about today? Yeah, there probably is. I mean, I think one thing that I identified um, in the other other Everest program, um, a sort of very personal experience, was um, when I was 19 years old, I was sexually assaulted by a stranger, um, which is, as I learned later in life, it's not not as common as one might sort of think. And certainly not going to go into any details, but um, from a personal perspective, it really was a transformational experience. And um, it's always so sort of a delicate thing to say that you look back on something that can be so horrible and um, coming through to the other side of that, being able to find just a huge amount of sort of positive impact and depth um, in a really authentic way, I guess. And just the experiences from that, um, I would say having sort of faced my own mortality, I guess. Um, and But more importantly, I would say surviving and coming out the other side. And just, I think, reaffirming the value of my life and the value of life in general and the, again, the sort of variety of the human experience in, in all of its incredible highs and sometimes, unfortunately, incredible lows. And I think, to be honest, I think that's probably an experience that really pushed me towards EMS, um, recognizing my ability to stay calm in that situation and, and that that definitely had an uh, outcome for me that... Uh, could have been very much different if I wasn't able to stay calm. Um, wow. Yeah, I think that wow. that would probably be a, a bit of a precursor to a lot of this for me. So. Well, thank you very much for your vulnerability around that and your honesty around that. Were there some key um, points along the healing journey that you could point to to say these were really fundamental experiences that helped me heal from that experience. Were there anything come to mind, Catherine, that you could pass on to your to our reader, uh, to our listeners, that uh, you are not alone here, as we've heard in many of these stories. And I'm just wondering if, if you could point us in a direction of uh, what are some key points around healing from this? Any, any sense of that? Yeah, I, so for me, I, I was just incredibly fortunate to have um, people in my life who sort of, number one, never questioned the validity of, of what had happened or the, the seriousness of it. I mean, certainly an unconditional acceptance of, of that. I mean, law enforcement was involved. There was this whole sort of other piece to it. So it was um, 
sort of without question had happened, which was fortunate, I guess, from a credibility perspective. But just a real willingness, I think, of the people around me to, to be supportive and to help sort of see me through it. And, you know, just I remember uh, I was in my first year of university and I just had this wonderful friend in, in university with me, Jillian, who, I mean, her and I just sort of became those, you know, that, that passionate sort of holding that place of the survivor. I think in a time that was, I mean, I'm not going to totally date myself, but 25 years ago, these conversations weren't happening in the same way that they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, we just sort of tapped into a different type of energy and a different type of experience from a personal level, but then also connecting that to how do these things affect our society as a whole and and how do we interact differently with each other because of these these uh, these experiences that people have had and how can we learn from each other's experiences without having to experience things ourselves. I think that's a key piece too. If that makes sense. It makes total sense. No, it really, and it speaks to your character. How does one go through that without being bitter? How, because you, you really are not an angry person. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're filled with this sense of caring and compassion and clarity and courage. How does, how does one de- get, let go of the anger? I mean, there certainly was anger, and I think there probably still is in some ways, but I guess it's just a recognition that it's, I I think at some point in time you have to decide for yourself whether people are fundamentally sort of good and have something good to contribute to the world, and if you make that decision about yourself, you kind of have to make it about other people as well, and and I don't know if there are exceptions to that. And so there's a place you come to where the forgiveness sounds a bit trite, I guess, but um, just a recognition that sort of we're all human, spiritual beings having a human experience, I think, a wise woman once said to me. But, uh, you know, whatever that sort of looks like, if I'm going to... If I'm going to allow that for myself, I have to allow that for others as well. And, and that includes the person who assaulted me, to be honest. So it's um, coming past and through into that place, I think. And that certainly then shaped the way that I dealt with the variety of people that we would encounter as a paramedic as well as really coming from a place of a core place of respect for them as human beings. And I could definitely stand up and say, I won't tolerate that type of behavior while I'm taking care of you. Um, but at the end of the day, that doesn't preclude sort of the basic respect that we can give each other. Wow, that is such a powerful story. And it is so inspiring. And it speaks to uh, just the, the person who you are. I get kind of teary when I uh, hear that story and, and hear your journey through it to the other side. I often wonder, Catherine, whether or not it's the experience that makes us who we are or the healing from the experience that makes us who we are. And it probably doesn't matter, but it certainly would be a combination of both for you, huh? Yeah, it would 
would be for sure. You know, and as soon as you, when you just said that, it sort of triggered something else is that the people that I dealt with in the immediate aftermath of that experience, so um, sort of having gotten myself out of the situation I was in and literally uh, like a complete stranger on the street who helped me and the sort of police who helped me and the social work people at the hospital that helped. I mean, I just was surrounded by people who genuinely were caring for somebody they didn't know. And uh, looking back now, I think that probably inspired some action for me in in, uh, in my future choices, career-wise, and, and how I've just sort of chosen to live my life and, and see others, I guess. So. Well, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your courage to be here today and to share this with us and to... Uh, just share another expression of the diversity of the human experience and uh, the, the tremendous leadership that's come from you and the impact that you're going to make as a result of just doing this, con having this conversation with me today. I want to thank you. Well, thank you very much, David. Is there anything else I have not asked you that you would like to share about uh, a message that you could pass on, um, a, a bottom-line learning that you've had in the course of your career, your life, any message that you would like to leave our uh, listeners with today? Um, I guess just trust that you can sort of do what you choose to do, that what you, what works for you might not be what you think it is. I guess if I hadn't just sort of trusted that, you know, changing careers and, and moving on to different opportunities, if I hadn't have sort of made that leap of faith, I think I would have um, potentially not sort of been in a great place, sort of, if I would have stayed where I was before. And as scary as that can be to just reach out and, and, and take the first step towards something really new, I just think it's sort of infinitely worth taking advantage of those opportunities when they, when they present themselves. Don't hold back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been incredible today, and thank you very much again for your story. And uh, I just look forward to more conversations with you and uh, to have future podcasts with other incredible, remarkable human beings who have been called leaders in their lives. Thank you very much for listening and for, and for you, Catherine, for joining us today.